0: You are listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast with Ambassador Delano Lewis. Conversations about business, politics, government, education, and so much more. Now, here is your host, Ambassador Delano Lewis. Welcome back. This is Fly on the Wall podcast, and I am Delano Lewis. I'm so excited about today's guest. He is a good friend and colleague he has an awesome, awesome experience in business and politics. He is a good friend, the senior senator from the Commonwealth of Virginia, elected in 2008, vice chair of the Senate Democratic Caucus, vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and previously uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, he was governor from 2002 to 2006. He is a good friend, and I'm so pleased to welcome him to Fly on the Wall podcast, the senior senator from the Commonwealth of Virginia, Mark Warner. Welcome, Mark.
1: Thank you, Dell. Thank you, and appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. I know you are busy, and there's so much going on uh, in Washington. Uh, the The events are going fast, as it depends on what side you're on, or slow, but uh, there are a lot of things happening. So I was just so pleased that, to have you on the show. I have been talking to successful people like you about business issues, education, politics, and I just want to our listeners to get to know you. And so I want to start with, uh, about Mark Warner and those early days and about how we met and in our time in Washington, but just get to know Mark. Would you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Absolutely. Um, I was kind of a traditional middle-class kid, uh, grew up in three States, uh, Indiana, Illinois, and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to public school, was the first person in my family to Graduate from college. I went to George Washington University, where I had an interest in politics even back then, and managed to intern on Capitol Hill all four years of my college uh, education. Wow! Um, Got out of college, went to went to law school at Harvard. Quickly decided I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I went (laughs) ahead and finished and uh, uh, got my you know joined the bar, but didn't end up practicing law. Instead, I went to work in politics at the Democratic National Committee um after about eighteen months there, i am uh, tried to be an entrepreneur, took my <laughs> life savings five thousand dollars, invested in a little energy company, helped the company go broke in six weeks Wow then uh, then went and did um real estate and Failed at that as well. And then in, at the ripe old age of 27 in 1982, I got an opportunity to get involved in the earliest days of the wireless revolution, the cellular telephone industry. And it was about that time in the early 80s uh, that I had an opportunity to meet um, uh, somebody who was working for CMP Telephone, and it was a community leader, Del Lewis, and uh, he took a, an interest in. In me and my career, and um, kind of the rest is history. But I ended up getting out of politics for about ten ten years, and um, you know, did most of that time built my business. was a venture capitalist. Also, was lucky enough to co-found the company Nextel. Uh, and then in the late '80s, after I'd done pretty well in business, I got reinvolved in in politics, and ended up being the campaign manager for. For Doug Wilder, uh, who right. was running for governor. I was very intrigued with the idea. I hadn't been that involved in politics, and I hadn't been all that involved in Virginia politics, but I was intrigued with the idea of, you know, was Virginia ready to elect um, an African-American um, governor of Virginia? And uh, I ended up through a variety of circumstances becoming Doug's campaign manager and was proud to be part of that historical event when he was a Elected governor. Before and after that,
0: yeah, be, go ahead. before you move on, because uh, I'm going to cover that political career with you because it's been so exciting. But I want to go back to those early days because uh, I was checking on you, doing the research, and you mentioned uh, I read something that you were inspired about politics or getting involved in politics by a social studies teacher, and it got you interested. And I also saw that uh, in Connecticut, you were president of your class. Uh, three times in in high school, so there was something going on uh, very early on in mark warner's uh, life
1: well it, it was true and i was um, there was a high school teacher, uh, a lady named June Tyler, and mm-hmm. i just moved to Connecticut. I'd moved from Illinois where my folks lived, and my dad worked for Aetna, so we got transferred around and I was in uh, like to say I was in eighth grade. In 1968, and so I was old enough to be touched by the idealism right. of the 1960s, but not so immersed in it that I became cynical, which I think too many <laughs> folks in the 60s ended up right. happening. Good for and you. And yeah, in 1968, my political views of change because in 1968, I was a— um, Republican and a supporter of Richard Nixon. I would think I was the wow. Nixon surrogate in my eighth grade class when we had the class debate. Um, but it was a, an, an exciting time. I mean, our country was going through the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, the beginning of the women's movement. And um, um, you know, I, I believe and still believe uh, that you can really make a difference in people's lives in politics, but you've got to get engaged.
0: And so that started very early. And I'm, I'm so interested to hear you say that because I was inspired by my high school teachers uh, in Kansas. And, um, you know, my my band teacher and my principal uh, really were role models for where I was going to go to college. So I was very fascinated by that. And then I was also fascinated when you went through your business. You were very successful in business. But as you ticked those things off, there were a number of failures. So I know right. my listeners... Um, Uh, would like to know about what happens uh, in those times that we fail.
1: Well, I think, you know, if if there's one thing I'd love to impart to your listeners that, you know, trying something and failing at it, uh, I found that I've learned more from my failures in many ways than I may have learned in my successes. And, and I was, you know, I failed in business. I failed the first time I ran in politics. Um, So I've, you know, I've, I've, I've had a a pretty good career, but it came with, came with failures. And I think in one of the things in our country that is good is that, you you can pick yourself up and try again. Now, let me first also acknowledge uh, that I'm not sure I would have had the opportunities I had if I wasn't a white guy with appropriate education. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this notion that I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not sure if I ever had three chances or two chances or even that first chance. And you know, one of the reasons, one of the things I'd like to try to move our, continue to help move our country forward on is this idea that everybody in America ought to get a fair shot and that you ought to be able to take the risk of failing and still get a second shot. And unfortunately, I don't think that is entirely true for all mm-hmm. Americans, whether it's... Based on race or gender or you know where you live, too much of a uh, is happening in America increasingly that your future is dependent by your zip code. Um but I found in my my career, i also um, you know didn't know enough to know that I shouldn't take another chance and, right. you know and, and to a certain degree, um, you know since I worked all my way through college and through law school, and I didn't have my parents didn't have the funds to support me, but since I worked. I only had $15,000 worth of student debt coming out of both college and law school combined. Right. And one of the things I'm worried about with young people today is that I'm not sure I would have taken all those risks if I come out with sixty dollars or $70,000 worth of student debt. And I really think that is holding back a lot of young people from trying to be entrepreneurs or trying to go off and you know work as a teacher or work in a nonprofit uh, because of the enormous pressure from student debt.
0: And I know, and you are involved in so many of those issues, and you've made that a, for, a, a part of your political uh, uh, career as well in dealing with some of those, those issues. I, I want to go back to some of the similarities about my career, because the whole purpose of Fly on the Wall podcast is to bring messages to people about just all of us who, who are traveling on in, in this planet and how we got there and what we're about. And I noticed that uh, you were a Hill staffer, and I, I worked on Capitol Hill for a senator and a congressman. And I noticed that you were involved in, as you talked about, in technology and, and information systems and telecom. And that's where I spent 20 years of my life in CNP Telephone. So there's some similarities here about business and politics that I want our listeners to hear about before I talk about your political career. Would you just shed some light well, on that?
1: Well, I, I think um, business was an avenue that gave me the freedom to come back to politics. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate. That on my third try in business, I got involved in the cell phone industry. I still remember many of my law school classmates, and I'd gone to Harvard for law school, so they were all at fancy law firms. Right. When I urged them in the early '80s to take a look at you know, cellular telephones, they all thought I was crazy. Said, "Go, go get a job. Nobody's going to want a car telephone." Now right. they were wrong, and I, <laughs> I, I did pretty well. You said he um, did, but it's, but I, but I think that you know having background in business before you go into politics, for me at least, gave me a grounding in finance, gave me a grounding in reading a balance sheet, gave me a grounding in, you know, too often in in politics, I find that people end up having a whole career where they're just talking about what they're against rather than Mm -hmm. what they are for. I mean, I always said, if I, you know. I operated a business where the only thing I did was run down my competition, but never put out a good product i wouldn't be in business very long, but there's exactly. a lot of people in politics in both parties that spend their whole career simply criticizing the other side rather than trying to figure out how to get how to get to yes. Um, but I also think, and one of the things I want to compliment you, Dell on, is that um, i've had mentors in my life and people that that were willing to help me along the way. And you were one of those people. Uh, Thank I, you, know, you. you were a significant figure in the Washington area business scene. You, know, you were in our, the same industry as I was. And um, you were very kind to take a, take a liking to me early on and um, always treated me with, res- with respect, even when I was st- getting started. And I think it's really important that you're doing this kind of podcast. And because I think too many young people today assume that, you know that the people who are successful started there,
0: right? As exactly. opposed to
1: the fact that they, you know, they've all had lives. I think virtually everyone I know, many of the people I know that have been successful, some I know maybe were born with a silver spoon, right. but a, a lot of us, you and me Did and not. others, you know, were not, and we had to struggle, and we had some success, but we also had failures. And I just hope that people realize, you know, taking a chance, especially early on in life, uh, you'll never regret it.
0: Well, thank you so much, and thanks for those kind words, because that leads me to your your political career, because uh, you mentioned managing Douglas Wilder's uh, gubernatorial campaign in uh, 1986, and I happened to be there on that historic occasion when he was inaugurated as the uh, first African-American governor of the the Commonwealth of Virginia. It was a, a very historic and exciting time, so I remember that so well. But you have carried on from that into state politics uh, that was that has just been extraordinary. So I want to talk about your state of Virginia activism because you've done some um, wonderful things. You're, you're chairman of the state Democratic Party. You did decide to run uh, for the U.S. Senate in 1996 against John Warner, and that you didn't succeed. But then after right. that, you ran for governor later and did succeed. So uh, talk about your state activities.
1: Well, uh, one... Um I learned a lot from that first campaign uh, uh, against John Warner. Mm -hmm. And what I learned in particular, and John Warner and I have become very close friends. He was kind enough to endorse me in 2014 when I ran for re-election, even though I'm a Democrat and he's a Republican. Mm -hmm. So again, even out of that failure came for me both a learning experience and because I did better than people expected, it set me up – to run for governor. So, you know, out of that loss, I still, you know, came. there came some, there was some upside. And um, developing a relationship with John Warner, who I saw as recently as earlier today, uh, was a real benefit to me. And he's been a mentor of mine through through my whole political career. Now, when I became governor, um, it was a challenging time. You know, for Democrats had not done well for years in Virginia. The state was overwhelmingly Republican. I bet mm-hmm. it was the first Democratic governor in Almost a decade um, and you know the previous governor frankly left the state in a very bad fiscal situation and I often said he said that there was a three hundred million dollar shortfall, and when I got in found it was a six billion dollar shortfall. I actually thought wow. was it too late for a recount <laughs> right. um, but but what it what it taught me one of the things I tried to do as governor was one maintain commitment to education mm-hmm. that I wouldn't cut any more there. Secondly, to try to make sure that, that economic development opportunities weren't just in Northern Virginia, but were that kids in rural communities wouldn't have to pick up and leave their hometown to find a good job and made some progress, not as much as I'd like, but some progress. And then ultimately, um, I had to make some hard choices in terms of cuts in in Virginia government, but we also tried to operate more efficiently and Governing magazine named Virginia the best managed state in the country, um, and then we named we, we also got named by Forbes as the best state for business in the country, as well as by Education Week as the best state for public education. And
0: fantastic!
1: I, I built up. I think one of the things that I was most proud of the legislature was two to one Republican, um, but I tried to make sure I picked people based on merit, not just on partisanship. Mm-hmm. And the first year, um, I got my tail. Kicked a number of times because I might they, because the Democrats were mad at me for being too bipartisan. The Republicans thought that I might have just been naive. <laughs> but by the second year, and when people realized that that we were, um, you know, that I was trying to play it straight, and the state really was in this tough financial circumstances, there were a, a big group of Republicans who joined with me, and we did a major reform of our tax code, um, kept our AAA bond rating, raised some additional revenues that, that had been, we needed to put back, back in, not to expand government, but frankly, just to make sure we paid our bills. Right. And we only did that because the trust that I'd built up in the first year, year and a half, when I was frankly getting criticized by both sides for trying to be too bipartisan. Um, and again, I think there was a lesson there that, you know, in politics, um, my belief is, you know, half of your, success or or failure is based upon obviously your policies, but half is also based upon whether people you're working with trust you. And too often, particularly in Washington these days, we kind of view each other as separate tribes, Republicans and Democrats. And it's like, you think, well, if I'm a Democrat, you must assume that every Republican idea is bad. That's Mm -hmm. just crazy to me. I mean, you know, as a business guy, I would never take ideas only from half the room. (laughs) And I think building up that trust, um, so that at, when you really try to do something important, you you can make the case that, hey, this is not about partisanship. This is about what's in the best interest of Virginia. And, um, and, that and, will come through.
0: And this is what I wanted to to follow through on, because as I look over your background, I'm just very impressed with your bipartisan efforts. I mean, you just ticked off what you did in, 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 in the state of Virginia, and you did that with uh, Democrats and, and, and Republicans, and you delivered. And then your financial background came in. To, to play by keeping the triple bond rating and, and, and having money to, to, to invest in those social policies. And then what happens, you had a big win in the United States Senate in 2008. 65% of the vote uh, against Republican Jim Gilmore. But unbelievable move to, to national stage on the U.S. Senate with a big win. And there you are also carrying forth with bipartisanship. And I just want to salute you for that.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, but it's, but I didn't... In 2014, one of the things that was really challenging, I had that big win in 2008. In 2014, uh, you know, everybody had predicted that I was going to win again by a big margin, and I ended up winning by only 1%. Now, I think part of that was, you know, I tried to continue to to be bipartisan, but people were not seeing a lot of bipartisan product coming out of the Senate. And there was also the time... Um, that was the time when... People were focused on Ebola, uh, which right. mysteriously went away from the front page the day after the election. And <laughs> you know, candidly, a lot of folks were were disappointed with President Obama. I'd been a big supporter of President Obama's, and one of the things that were frustrating to me was it it felt like in 2014, and I worry going forward in politics that too often members of Congress or members of the Senate, you know, people don't vote for them or against them based upon their record, they vote for or against them as a message to whoever the president is. And Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, and that helped the Democrats in 2018, but I, but I would hope going forward that people can still distinguish them, you know, their senators and their congressmen from whoever is the president. Um, because I think that reinforces people that want to be bipartisan.
0: Well, thank you. I know, uh, you are very, very busy and I, I want us to, to continue this, and I, would you agree to come back? I've got a couple more questions I want to ask, but can we do another episode? Can I get a Yes,
1: we'd, the, I'd be happy to do another episode, but, and I do have to step off in a couple of seconds, but let's go ahead and take, um, I, to, I'm happy to take one more question.
0: I sure will. I just want you to, uh, to, to give me some sense of what's going on in the state politics of Virginia uh, with the governor, uh, the lieutenant governor, and, and obviously the attorney general who had some issues as well. Yeah. Uh, where, what's happening there? Before we close out,
1: well, it's been it's been a real challenge. I mean, as somebody who's tried to build an image for Virginia and the Virginia Democratic Party that's progressive and forward leaning and still fiscally responsible, Mm -hmm. and we've had great success. um, It was, um, you know, it 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 hurt the comments that were made, the accusations that were put forward. Um, My feeling going forward is uh, the governor is clearly going to stay mm-hmm. and I think he needs to regain the trust of the people of Virginia and I think he demonstrates that by getting out and getting around the state again by actually recognizing the the hurt that took place and and if he can use his term the balance of his term to meaningfully address some of the racial equity issues and disparity issues in in Virginia, there can be some good that comes out of this, but it has to be, he has to take the lead on that. And I think he's starting down that path, Mm -hmm. um, but the proof will be in the pudding. Right.
0: Well, listen, um, the the last thing before you go, and we'll talk more about this next time, anything you can tell us on 2020 and and how things are shaping up. And obviously uh, you can't speak a lot from the Senate Intelligence Committee, but there's a lot happening on the national front with Trump and, and the collusion and all of those issues. Uh, any final words you might want to share with the listeners about the the terrain that
1: we need to make sure that when the Mueller report is finished, it gets out to the public. Yes. Because the American public deserves to know because, you know, the the truth is we had a foreign country attack us in 2016. They didn't Mm -hmm. use guns and bullets, but they used hacked information and they used um, social media in ways that caught America off guard. And the question of, you know, there's a, a a variety of valid questions to be asked. I mean, the Trump organization already has acknowledged over a hundred contacts with Russians during the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Now, it may all be nothing, right. uh, but that is unprecedented in terms of American politics, and the American public deserves the truth. And then, in terms of 2020, you know, what my hope is is that, and where I, you know, I'm not going to be one of the 20 candidates <laughs> running, but I, but I do think you know I can I want to offer an economic narrative mm-hmm. that might be a little different than some of the democratic candidates. Cause I, listen, I was a business guy. Right. I've been very successful, but I worry that modern American capitalism isn't working for enough people. I worry mm-hmm. that there's, you know, that people don't feel like they can take a chance and fail the way I did and and get another shot. And mm-hmm. so I, I've got some ideas on both how we ought to have a portable benefit system. A third of the workforce today works without any benefits because they're in some level of independent work or independent contractors. I think we need a a tax code that actually supports businesses that invest in human capital. I mean, every business says the most important assets are people, but there's nothing in our tax code or accounting system that actually reinforces businesses or rewards them for investing in human capital. And candidly, I I think our, you know, you were a very successful business guy. I was pretty successful. I worry that too many, particularly of our public companies, Focus way too much on short-term profits exactly. rather than long-term value creation, and I think that will can ultimately destroy the system. If you're always chasing that two cents on the next quarter, and you don't make your investments in your people and your research, then we're not going to continue to be the strongest economy in the world. So I hope I can you know direct a little bit of the at least the debate around the economy, and I've got some ideas to add.
0: Well, keep doing what you're doing, and and I look forward to our getting together again because. There's a lot to talk about. You have a lot to offer this country. You've already done a lot for this country and for the state of Virginia. But I know with your background and your enthusiasm about making America work for all of us is going to be extremely important. And I salute you and your bipartisan efforts, and I want you to continue that. And I know you're going to represent us well as we look at uh, the terrain going forward. So great to be a friend of yours. I support you all the way. And let's keep talking.
1: Amen. And thank you, Dell. for thank you for your friendship and thank you for your your service to our country as well. as sure. ambassador. I mean, you know, we, there are so many ways to serve and um, your life, your role model, whatever role model I can be. We need to tell folks that, you know, we got challenges in this country, but there's no challenge that if we can get to come together as Americans that we can't fix.
0: I agree with you 100 percent. Thanks again, Senator Warner. And we'll be back in touch. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, Del. Bye bye. You bet. Bye bye. We've been listening to Fly on the Wall podcast uh, with my guest, the senior senator from the Commonwealth of Virginia, Senator Mark Warner. It was an incredible, inspiring time to talk about his life, his moving from state politics to the U.S. Senate and his concern for this country in a bipartisan way. I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from Senator Warner. So until next time, Godspeed. Thank you you have been listening to the fly on the wall podcast for more information about this episode and previous episodes plus great merchandise and more please visit our website at flyonthewallpodcast.com today